So have you heard of a soccer player named Megan Rapino or Rapino, however you want to say her name? Uh, she probably one of the best known female soccer players in the world. Uh, she's kind of woke. She's a, a lesbian, open about that. Uh, she was retiring a week ago, her last game, and about six minutes into this, her final game before retirement, she injured herself and tore her Achilles. So I don't know if you saw it. She had a press conference after that, and this is what she said at the press conference afterwards. Megan Rapino says, injury during championship game is proof God doesn't exist. Now, I thought that was an interesting perspective because there are other people that would say her injury is proof that God does exist. <laughs> oh, both those positions are caricatures of God. So there is a way to see God where his job is to make all your dreams come true. Make sure you get the goal, make sure you get the win, make sure you're the star, make sure that you increase your portfolio, make sure you get the girl or the guy of your dreams, make sure you have a good life and never get injured. That's one way to see God. And there's another way to see God, and this way is God is the judge. And if you make one misstep, he's gonna crush you. Megan Tornachilles. And now if that's true, how busy would God be? Right? Achilles, 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 ACL, ACL, rotator cuff. Death to you all, pandemic, right? Both of them need some balance. So we're studying right now the Sermon on the Mount. I call it the gospel of the kingdom, where Jesus talks about just about everything. And in this section, he makes a statement that is very perplexing to me. It's actually kind of difficult to process through it. So we're gonna read it, and hopefully out of it will come the right balance of the way to see God. So Matthew chapter seven, verse seven. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And to the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you if his son asks him for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? I emphasize the certainty of what Jesus is saying. Right? If you ask, it will, not might, not could, not probably, will. It's not conditioned in any way. It's not if you ask in my name, like after my nature or whatever, it's if you ask, it will be given to you. If you seek, 
you will find, again, unconditioned. Jeremiah conditions it. He says, if you seek, you'll find me when you search with your whole heart. Jesus doesn't condition it here. You can just ponder this. Everyone, verse 8, everyone who asks receives. What do we receive? Verse 7, whatever we asked for, right? Like, wow. But if you're sitting in here right now and you're not in a diaper, you probably realize, man, I don't think that's happened for me. I've prayed for things I did not get. I've asked for things that did not happen. I prayed that my mom would be healed from cancer 18 years ago. And a month later, she died. And I believed and I prayed and I sought God as hard as I could. And she died from cancer. How many people do we know that have left the faith because they asked for something and it didn't happen? Years ago, I read a biography of Ted Turner. So he's the guy that came up with CNN News. So if you love 24-hour news, Ted Turner. If you hate 24-hour news, Ted Turner, right? And in this biography, it's fascinating because he begins by saying, hey, I got saved seven times under Billy Graham's ministry. Every time Billy Graham would come on the TV, I'd watch one of his revivals. Man, I would pray to believe in Jesus Christ. And so what happened to his faith? Well, Ted Turner had one sister. And when she was 12, she got lupus. And she ends up dying at 17 from cancer. And he talked about his childhood, seeing his sister with lupus and then dying from cancer. And he said they had to pad all their walls in their apartment because lupus made her unstable and she would smash into walls and she'd be in such pain at night, she would cry out in the night for God to kill her. And Ted Turner said, I prayed for an hour a day for God to heal my sister and she died. How could God let a 12-year-old girl go through that? Jesus, if you ask, you'll receive. What happened? It's so certain, right? Ask, it's gonna be given. Seek, you're gonna find. Knock, and it'll be open to you. But for most of us in here that are honest, it hasn't happened for us that way. Maybe we were promised that way. Maybe we read a book or saw a DVD or went on YouTube or a TikTok minute and someone's promising all this stuff, but in reality, it didn't happen. So then you step back from texts like this and you're like, well, what went wrong? Here's usually what we're told. You just need faith, right? If you had more faith, if you had more faith, when my mom died, I had someone actually come to me and tell me that, Matt, if you guys would have had more faith, your mom would have been healed. Yeah. I wanted to say, thank you for helping Satan, because that's what he's been telling me. Thank you. You are such a blessing to my soul. Right? Please go far away from me. Right? Like, I don't think that's helpful. But there's this idea that if you can just muster up enough faith, just somehow you can just muster up enough faith, you can just kind of, ah, then guess what? God will give you whatever you want. Name it and claim it. Blab it and grab it. Right? There is that idea that somehow if you and I had enough faith, we'd get what we want. We'd get the better job. We'd get the bigger house. We'd get the better car. We'd get better friends. We'd get a better preacher. Just, man, we'll do that. Now, if that's true, what does that turn God into? 
he becomes your errand boy. That if God does his errands right, you'll tip him 10%. That's what happens. And somehow in this idea behind that, it's like what is most glorifying to God is for you and me to get whatever we want. For me to get lots of stuff, like that glorifies God. Look at all my stuff, ain't God grand? And then other people are like, dude, where'd you get all that stuff? God gave it to me. Well, if God gives out stuff like that, then give me God too. Which is just paganism and idolatry. That's all it is. You know what I think is most glorifying to God? When you lose everything and he's still enough. I think that's most glorifying to God. You look at the apostle Paul, author of half of the New Testament, superstar of the New Testament. At the end of his life, read 2 Timothy 4, what happens to him. He goes, everyone abandoned me. I've got nothing here. I'm rotting in a prison cell, freezing cold. Please bring me a coat. It's so cold in here. And he says, but God stood with me. And he finishes his course with joy. I think that's what's most glorifying to God. So I have this quote by J.I. Packer that I just cut out because it helps me balance these things well. So J.I. Packer says this. Still he seeks the fellowship of his people and sends them both sorrows and joys in order to detach their love from other things, stuff, and attach it to himself. That's balanced. And people that believe, you know, faith just mustered up. You know what I tell them? I say, a lot of times it was people's faith that got them in trouble in the Bible. Job, no one suffers worse than Job in the Old Testament. Why did Job suffer so much? Read chapter one. There's no one on earth better than Job. He's the best earth has, and he suffers like no one else because of his faith. And Job looks at his suffering, looks at his difficulty, and he says this in chapter 23, verse 10. He says, when I'm tried, I will come forth like gold that all this difficulty, all this trying, is producing a metal in me that will last for eternity. It will not get tarnished. Paul, 2 Corinthians 12, 7, because of the abundance of revelation given to me, I authored half the New Testament, took the gospel to the known world. Because of the abundance of revelation given to me, there was given a thorn in my flesh to buffet me. Why was Paul given this messenger of Satan, this thorn in the flesh? Because of his faith. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Why are they thrown in the fiery furnace? Because of their faith. Stephen, Acts chapter seven, first martyr of the church. Why is he killed? Because he was full of God's spirit and full of faith. All right, so the idea is silly. I think faith it's, it, it, it's, it requires tension for it to be right in the life of a believer. You go one way or the other way, you get a weird character of God, right? We need tension in life. Like sociologists that study people, they say, you need certainty and safety and comfort and security, but you also need variety and risk and change and new ideas. That if you don't have both of those, you don't live a flourishing life. It's in the tension that you actually get, like a tension bridge. It holds up your life. It makes you strong. Faith is just like that. We can camp on one verse at the expense of the rest of the Bible. And we do that a lot. We don't have good, tense, strong faith. 
right? I'll give you some examples. So everybody knows John 10.10. Jesus, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Yeah, the abundant life, awesome. Well, six chapters later, he says this. In this world, you will, another promise, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So as part of the abundant life, tribulation, apparently in Jesus's vocabulary, yes. Right, we love Ephesians 3 verse 20. Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or even think. We can't even think about how much God is gonna do. According to the power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. We love to close, quote that, but we better balance it with 2 Timothy 3.12. Indeed, all who desire to live godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Anyone have that underlined? Anyone have that like on the refrigerator? This inspirational quote of the morning? Today I'll be persecuted. Awesome. <laughs> Doubt it. Right? We love 1 Corinthians 2.9. What no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. We better balance that with 1 Peter 4.12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. We think that all the time. Why is this happening to us? Peter's like, bro, that's just life. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. How about that? So your social media, when they're mad at you, when you're saying something, stand up for the truth of Jesus Christ, Peter says you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. We better have this tension in our faith of both sides or we end up somewhere weird. I'm so happy that I kind of cut my teeth on the Bible by people that taught through the scriptures. So you can't just camp on your favorite stuff. You're just going through the entire book. Like, okay. You're gonna hit them all. The good, the bad, the ugly, we're gonna hit them all because it's so healthy. Because if not, if I didn't have that, man, I'd camp on all the happy passages and when hard things hit my life, I'd be like, okay, I'm out. But the tension is what keeps you strong. One of the best things you can ever do if you're someone that has a Bible that you've had for a long time is read the parts you did not underline. And really think about those parts. Like, hmm. Oh. So back to Matthew 7, what is Jesus saying here? Context is always the king, is it not? We always have to be thinking about context. Every time a celebrity says something that they, don't, they wish they hadn't say, said, what do they always kind of like throw in there? I was taken out of context, right? So my favorite is from a bunch of years ago when Arnold Schwarzenegger was the governor of California, the kingdom of California. Remember that? The governator. So he had a video when he was younger where he smoked pot. So they asked him now as governor and pot wasn't legal like it is now. So they asked him about, hey, what's the deal with smoking pot? And this was his answer. He said, cannabis is not a drug, but because of his thick 
Austrian accent, it sounded like he said, cannibals need hugs, which I can agree with. And then it got, you know, just blew up. And his one answer over and over was, I was taken out of context. I was taken out of context. Because we all know how important context is. So we can rip certain verses out of the Bible and take them out of context. And when we do, they lose their meaning. So let's try to put context on what Jesus is saying right now. He's preaching a sermon. It's a pretty long sermon. So maybe, maybe there is a context for asking and seeking and knocking that if we get that, then we get the balance we need and we don't make a caricature of faith. So let's look. Jesus says, ask. Has ask appeared anywhere else in this sermon? Yeah, in the Lord's Prayer. Chapter six, verse nine. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our Maseratis, our gold jets, our Ferraris. Give us this day our daily bread. About two bucks. That's what Jesus is saying. Give us two bucks in bread. So does Jesus say, hey, you can ask anything you want or is there a context to it? Like, hey, the context of asking there in the Lord's prayer is God's will. It should be shaped by God's will. And we ask, Jesus says, you're gonna receive. What, will we re- what are we to receive? Whatever we ask for. Is God's job just to rubber stamp whatever Matt Heverly asked for? Well, Matt asked for it, I guess I just gotta rubber stamp it. Or can God say no to me or wait to me or maybe to me? What am I to receive? Is it a rubber stamp or is God gonna give me an answer and that's what I'm gonna receive? Does God ever say no to anybody in the Bible? You have David. Few are as big as David is in the Old Testament. You got Abraham, you got Moses, David. Those are your big three. David's the guy that writes in the Psalm. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And David has one desire. You read his entire story. His desire is to build a temple for God. Seems like a really good thing, right? God's temple was in a tent. Uh, David's like, no way, that's wrong. I'm in a nice house and you're in a tent. I want to build you a temple. Seems like a really good thing to do. And what does God say to David? I'll read it for you. First Chronicles 17, three. But that same night, the word of Yahweh came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says Yahweh, it is not you who will build me a house to dwell in. What did God say to David? No. Can God say no? Apparently, yes. Apparently, God can say no. Okay? So as believers, when we ask, Lord's prayer, context, what we're asking for is not our will, but God's will. Okay, God, I want your will ultimately. Has God ever said no to you? God said no to me. So many, many years ago, I grew up in a house with no dad. Elder brother, Chris, myself, my younger sister, Jessica, my younger brother, Jonathan. Dad just gone, whole time. And my mom had this kind of ritual every night at dinner 
a different one of us kids would pray over the meal. And for years, we would pray this prayer, no matter who, whose turn it was, Chris, mine, Jessica, Jonathan, we'd pray this prayer. We'd pray for the meal, bless it, thankful for it, and then we'd always add this, Lord, please bring our dad home. We'd all pray that. Childlike faith, believing God could do it, continual, like the Greek here is continual. Not ask once, it says continual. We did it continually, years of asking, every night. And then I can remember when my older brother was praying over a meal, and that night he didn't say it. And it was like, he didn't say amen. It was weird. I remember my mom silent, looking at my mom. All of the other three of us kids are looking at my older brother like, man, you just did something wrong. We ate the meal, it was silent, it was a weird meal. That night, three boys, we all stayed in the same room. So I'm on the bottom bunk, I'm yelling at Chris, Chris, why didn't you pray for our dad to come home? And his answer was, Matt, our dad's not coming home. And I don't even want him to come home. And so I doubled down on it. I started even praying more and more and more. But about the time I hit, hit his same age, maybe 11, 11 and a half, I stopped praying it. And then my sister stopped praying it. And then my little brother stopped praying it. And it wasn't until I was maybe 26, I think I was 26. My dad died when I was 26. And I was the only one that was kind of had the means at that time to go down to, he had this, rented this little shack down in Santa, by near, outside of Santa Rosa. And so I went down there just to clean it up. Didn't want to turn it back over to whoever his landlord was, the way it was. So I went down there and my little brother came with me and, we're, we're, and I was really looking for some keepsakes of my dad, like what, uh, uh, some memories, because I don't even know him. So I'm, and I'm in his house and I'm clearing it out. And all I can say is unhealthy because what we found was drug paraphernalia, tons of pornography, it was just gross. It was unhealthy. It was chaotic. Everything just went to the dump. And it was there cleaning out his house at 26 that I realized this is why God said no. Because he would have brought his drugs and his violence. He put a knife to my mom's throat on their honeymoon and said he was going to kill her. Would have brought his drugs and his violence and his chaos, and his pornography into a home that my mom had made into a lighthouse, a sanctuary. Yeah, we didn't live in the best area of Grant's Pass. We called it Felony Flats. But man, <laughs> Foundry Street. But, but she had made our home free from evil. There wasn't junk in our home. He would have brought it. And it was there cleaning out his house. I realized, you protected me. You protected me. See, God can say no. As believers, we want his no because we're asking to receive, not our way, but his, right? Seek. Seek and you're gonna find. Seek what? Do we have wrong goals, right? Like kids nowadays, you know what every kid wants to be? I have this from, I cut this out a while back. It just cracked me up. 86% of young Americans want to become a social media influencer. Who's left to influence? Right? I guess me. That's it. They're going to influence me. <laughs> like, it's insanity. I'm like, wow. So forget doctor. Forget, you know, we're, we're doomed. We're all going to be influencing us. And that's it. Do we have the wrong goals? 
probably. Has Jesus in this sermon said anything about seeking? Seven verses before. Chapter six, verse 33, Jesus says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Yes, right? This was in the time before the internet. So people actually had attention spans. They would have remembered, hey, a minute ago, he said something about seeking. Maybe that's what Jesus is talking about right here. Okay, here's why. We have all the wrong goals. We don't even realize it. We don't realize we're exiles. Do you know that? That there was a place that God actually wanted us to exist in and participate in, and our great-great-great-great-great-grandfather and grandmother blew it. And we got kicked out, and we went east of Eden. And every one of us is homesick to go back. It's why you can get everything that you dream of. iPhone 15, friends, money, fun, great house, great car, Volkswagen, 2.3 kids, spouse, job, remodel that came in on time under budget, miracle. And still you have this angst and you're like, why do I keep doing this? Feels like I'm running on a treadmill. What's purpose? Why am I even, who cares, right? Because we all know something. We're all exiles from Eden. We all have this angst in us. We are created by God for his kingdom. Ours will never be big enough. It will never satisfy. It will never be big enough. And we end up getting bored. Get bored. Why bother? Right? And then out of boredom, look out. Look out. The most dangerous man on earth is a bored man. Look out. Because it goes chaos. It goes disaster. It goes darkness really quick. Be careful. Like, one of the best chapters in the Bible to me is Genesis chapter one. To me, it's the entire Bible. You get it in chapter one. Like, everything's right there. Reread that text. Because it begins, it says this. It says, the earth was without form. Darkness, it was, it was a chaotic, formless, crazy place. And it says God's spirit began to hover over the darkness, the face of the water, and then God's word began to speak and there came light and life. And it crescendos into Sabbath rest in God's presence. Paradise for humanity. Because that's what we all want. Right? God speaks into my heart. Matt, your life is chaotic and it's dark and it's formless. Let my spirit hover over. Let my word speak into your life to guide you step by step, day by day into a paradise where you find Sabbath rest. You have shalom, just rightness of life. All right, how do you seek first the kingdom of God? How about just reading your Bible and praying? It's that simple. Start in Genesis. Read Genesis, say, God, there's darkness right now. There's formlessness. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm out of purpose. May your spirit hover over me. May your word speak into me. And may day by day, form come, life come, Sabbath rest come. That's what happens. Pray. Today, Jesus, fill me with your spirit. 
Empower me to be the neighbor that I want to be, the husband, the wife that I want to be, the parent that I want to be, the coworker that I want to be, the community member that I want to be. Empower me by your spirit to do that today. Guide me as I go out through my day. And guess what will happen? Day by day, there's form and beauty and shalom. It ends in shalom. This is what we're supposed to be seeking because it's the only thing that will satisfy God's kingdom. Knock and it will be answered. The door will be open to you. So Tuesday night, just this week, and to set this up, Myron, my 10-year-old, loves chickens. I don't know why, he just loves chickens. So I'm bringing him home from school this week, taking him home, we're talking. He's like, dad, when I grow up, I'm gonna buy a farm and I'm gonna have a thousand chickens. Like a thousand chickens, bro? I said, do you have, are you kidding? No, I'm doing that, thousand chickens and maybe a couple goats. Like, okay, well, your call, man. So loves chickens, always loves chickens. We have nine right now, which is enough for us. Uh, And we've had this skunk that's been terrorizing our chickens. Can't quite kill them, but just tears out all their feathers. They look like a chicken from like, I don't know, Nicaragua or something. They're just, they're destroyed, right? So um, trying to get that skunk. So Tuesday night, I'm in my bed. Door is closed. Light is off. I hear this, knock, 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 knock. Knock, 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 dad, dad, dad. Are you asleep? (laughs) Hmm, let's see. Door's closed, lights off. I'm in bed, I'm covered. My eyes are closed and I'm snoring. Am I asleep? Bro, figure it out, right? He's like, dad, there's a skunk right outside on the front porch, it's eating the cat food. Come on, so I get up, jump out, and for the next 30 minutes, we're chasing the skunk. We don't get the skunk but we did not get sprayed, so I call that a W. I'm like, that's a W. Okay. Let me ask, would anyone in here come and knock on my door like that? Only if you want to get tased or worse, right? Why can my 10-year-old do that? Because he's my son. Here's the entire point Jesus is making. He's talking to a group of people that would not even use God's name anymore. Even though God had introduced himself to Moses and said, my name is Yahweh, they would not use God's name. That God had become this kind of distant deity that was out there and they just thought, you know, if we keep our checklist of rules right, then God will stay off of our back and leave us alone and we can do our thing. And Jesus is coming in there saying, you've got the wrong idea of God. You've got a caricature of God. It's incorrect. So Jesus says this, verse 11. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him. Here's the point. God is a good, good dad. That's the whole point. Ask, seek, knock. Why? Because God is a good, good dad. And if I've asked for something that God did not give me, then guess what? It was not good. Because do your kids ever ask you for things that's not good for them? Dad, can I borrow the chainsaw? Why? I want to cut a hole in my room. 
Why? So I can snowboard out onto the roof and do a double Sukkoharza backflip onto the front lawn. No, but why, dad? Hunter's dad lets him. Yeah, Hunter's dad hates him and no, right? This is what Jesus is saying. We're all kids with chainsaws. And you have a good, good dad who gives good gifts to his kids. That's the point. See, Jesus is really stepping back and saying, we all have a theology of God. And based on your theology of God, it's gonna determine how you interact with him. So some people have, uh, God's a sugar daddy. He's just supposed to give me everything that I want. The W in soccer. If you look at God that way, you'll be disappointed. Other people think God's a drill sergeant. And he's just waiting to throw you in the brig. And people will dread God then. They'll be like Adam and Eve running from God after they sin. When God comes to them and clothes them and actually gives them a promise of redemption. They had the wrong view of God. Jesus is saying, the view you're supposed to have of God is he's a good dad. That gives you the best things you could ever want. And that grows us as disciples, grows our love for him. It transforms us. That's what changes us. This is Jesus' whole point. Well, Matt, how do I know he's good? Because of communion, right? You and I, we get the bread and the cup because Jesus, the king, God in the flesh, took the stone and the serpent. You and I get the bread and the cup because Jesus took the stone and the serpent. He took what we should have gotten to give us what he deserves. That's how you know he's good.